Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of Captain Hunter's Podcast, the podcast that is dedicated towards bridging the divide between the police and the communities that they serve. I want to welcome you all. Thank you all for tuning in. Really, really appreciate it. Your loves, your support. You all are making the show what it is and making sure that it grows and goes on and all that kind of good stuff. So I appreciate it. Please make sure that you keep up the good work. What's the good work that you can do to make sure that it keeps on going on? Well, you can rate these episodes. You can give it that five stars, that thumbs up. Uh, you can write me a review that was which I will read if I find it um, on Apple or on Spotify or wherever you get your podcast at. Make sure that you, uh, if I don't read it, um, just let me know that you wrote me something. You can email it to me as well, cptlhunter at gmail.com. I'll post it. I took a picture of one that was on uh, Instagram. You can follow me on Instagram, cptlhunter. Uh, and uh, shout out to the ladies of the Fruit Loops podcast. Uh, Fruit Loops Serial Killers of Color podcast, uh, who wrote me, a, you know, said something nice about me on Facebook. So I ended up posting it. So if you want uh, your credit, and, and first of all, I appreciate the, the kind words that anyone gives. I'm trying to give out some really good information and just trying to make this world a better place, leave it in a better state than which I found it. And um, so if you uh, if you want your uh, you know, name read and your comments read, just make sure that you uh, make sure I get it. CPTLHunter at gmail.com. You can send me a message on Facebook. You can send me a message through Instagram, to, through Twitter. Both of those are CPTLHunter. Uh, and so, you know, once again, rate, subscribe and share. Make sure that you are sharing these episodes with your friends, with your neighbors uh, and everything that you can do to make sure that everything goes on and grows on. Um, so you can follow me at hunterpolicetraining.com, hunterpolicetraining.com. And, uh, you know, if you have a promotional exam that's coming up, leadership course that you want taught, uh, you're looking for a speaker, uh, you have a conference or anything like that. Uh, I know we're all still in the lockdown. I'm more than happy to, uh, be a speaker at certain events about police reform, about leadership, um, and everything like that. I, I'm also a diversity and inclusion instructor. Uh, and I'm also a life coach, um, and so a father, uh, what's it like being a black man in America, you name the topic, I can probably speak about it. I, uh, maybe I can't talk about being an Asian female in America. Maybe I can't probably cannot talk about that, but, but anyway, uh, <laughs> so, uh, but anyway, uh, I, I really appreciate the love and support. Another way you can support the podcast is through PayPal cash app and Venmo. Cash App and Venmo or CPTL Hunter. PayPal is capped C-A-P-T Hunter at PayPal. Um, so uh, today's a live episode. Well, it was it's a recording of a live episode that we did. If you don't know, now you do know. I won't once I tell you, you'll know <laughs> that we do live episodes every Monday, 7.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Um, and so uh, it, it li streams live on Facebook uh, Periscope and YouTube. Um, so that's where we, we get these episodes from. So it's Dr. Nicole Cochran. Uh, she is a diversity and inclusion and implicit and bias instructor and expert. And here's a little bit about her. Dr. Nicole Cochran has spent years delving into the uh, research of implicit bias and how it influences human behavior. With over 25 years working education, nonprofit, and complex organizations as a director, professor, trainer, and coordinator. She's, her expertise lie in the practices of bias reduction, diversity, inclusion, and racial equity through a trauma-informed lens and creating safe spaces for understanding and inclusivity. She is a doctorate of education, uh, you know, really, really smart lady, and she was kind enough to come on the show 
and do one of the Facebook's lives that we do. So here's this recording, Dr. Nicole Cochran out of California. You can reach her on LinkedIn. Uh, and I believe she's also on Facebook, but she's definitely on LinkedIn if anybody's looking to hook up with her. So here we go, Dr. Nicole Cochran. Um, so we are live with uh, Dr. Nicole Conkred. Thank you so much for coming on Captain Hunter's podcast. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for being here. I am happy to be here. Anytime I get to talk about my passion, I take the opportunity. Very nice. Very nice. Very nice. So uh, let's let's just start off with uh, you just telling us about yourself, uh, if you would, uh, a little bit about your history who your people is and stuff like that. <laughs> um, I don't know how much time you have. But, um, <laughs> I am, I'm, uh, let me just start out, I'm gonna work a little bit backwards. I am so happy to say that I am Dr. Nicole Cochran, you know, received uh, my degree from University of Southern California back in um, summer of 2018. And uh, my focus was on implicit bias or unconscious bias reduction of police officers regarding um, minoritized individuals. And I focused on uh, black and Hispanic males, specifically uh, gentlemen of a dark, if you had a darker complexion. So it, it you know, that's what was important to me. Uh, I, I have, uh, I'm married to a wonderful man, will be married 29 years in December. And I have two very handsome boys. One is 26 and the other one is 25. And I wrote this because I am passionate uh, about one, the safety of our youth, specifically my very selfish reason. Uh, my son is six foot eight. He is 300 pounds, dark chocolate, handsome young man, but uh, I fear for him. And I want to not only protect my family, but I also want to share and live out my experiences. I want to create an atmosphere where we have comfortable and safe conversations about some very troubling things that are happening around us. Uh, also, I am a pastor's wife. Been married. He's been pastoring for over 20 something years now. And I live in the, right now, I live in a very small town, Turlock, California. I just moved here September 10th. So haven't been here uh, a long time, but I am already enjoying my new community and getting to know people. So it's been, it's been an adventure for the last few months. Very nice. Very nice. Um, so you, is your husband also an academic? I saw him with the with the uh, big A, the Alabama. Uh, okay. I was going to tease him about that a little bit. <laughs> yeah, you can tease him out. He, okay, so he is born, he is from Birmingham, Alabama. Okay. And so you know when you come, when you're born, you either have to choose Roll Tide or Auburn. So all he right, is an Alabama right. fan. He bleeds Alabama. Let me just say that. So. Okay. He is okay. serious, but yes, he has a master's degree. He teaches uh, restorative justice, but also okay. pastoring. He teaches uh, some courses in uh, at Fresno Pacific and other places. So yes, he's been teaching for a while in higher right. ed. Very nice, very nice, very nice. So you went back to school, or you continue with school? Uh, got your PhD or ED? EDD. Mm -hmm. Okay, got your EDD, uh, and um, and you focused on. Um, implicit bias or or implicit bias reduction is that what you said? Yes, implicit okay. bias reduction. Yes. Okay. So, what can you explain a little bit about what 
that is uh, for our viewers, if you would. All right. So we, um, everyone has unconscious bias, unconscious bias and implicit bias are basically the same thing. So we were focusing on those biases that you're not aware of. When I started this process, uh, it wasn't about people who were racist. I really didn't really want to deal with that. There was a there was a scene where I was watching the news and a black man had just been shot, and it, he was shot by a female officer, a white officer, and he had asked her, "Why did you shoot me?" And she said, "I don't know." So I have a lot of friends that work in a, uh, work for the police department, family members as well, and it was that that caught my attention that I don't know that unconscious part where people are you know they they say they're not racist and I truly believe that they're not you know if you believe that you, if you say you're not but unconsciously. It's built around things that we have been exposed to growing up, our community, our lifestyle, media, those things that we in, in, um, innately are, and we don't know where it comes from. Like, I always give the example is my husband, he uh, hates avocados, he calls them the devil's vegetable. I don't know what an avocado did to him in his past, you know, when he was growing up, but it was something that made him have this real dislike. He can't really find the root cause of where it came from. So that's where that's where it is unconscious things that we do and think, and we're not truly sure where those habits or thoughts come from. Mm. Very good. I'll have to remember to get your husband some avocados. Uh, yep. <laughs> <laughs> um. Right. So, so the, the, how I came across you, and you, you're part of you, you, or the head of an organization called Awake or something like that. Yes, yes. We started the Awake Foundation from our, my experience and wanted to start. We just just started having conversations with people in our community, and we started to have awake moments. And that's where Awake came from. Always working at knowledge empowerment, and so that's where the nonprofit started. Is so we just we host the we hosted. You know, of course, with COVID, we don't do that much anymore. We hosted these community meetings to have these safe conversations around um, bias reduction, and just to get to know people and talk about their cultures and seeing people beyond the color of their skin, their gender, and finding. Uh, find out more about them to start reducing bias and so that's how it started and then we started doing professional development and i just delved deep into the training elements and finding as much as i can out of, and doing research about bias and racism and um trauma so all of those areas is what i touched on when we deal with the awake foundation okay so before we continue on how are you making out with these COVID times are you sheltering in place and wearing your mask and all that kind of stuff or, or are you attending rallies and in, in, in all that oh i'm well i don't have time to attend rallies I <laughs> people do be safe make sure you wear your mask make sure it's outside i wear my mask i if you look at my purse i have spray sanitizer gel sanitizer a couple of masks some gloves uh, I am serious about protecting myself because I feel like, you know, at the age of 50, I'm at risk. I try, I do my very best to take care of myself, but I do travel. And so that is, a, I take extra precautions when I travel. Not only do I wear a mask, I have a shield as well uh, when I fly just to be safe. Clorox wipes are in my car. I'm, I just do, I do my due diligence to not get COVID and just also protect the people around me as well. Mm. Very good. So, Getting back to our implicit bias conversation here, um, before you went back to school, would you were you already or before you completed your ED, did did you uh, were you already involved in the implicit bias or harm reduction type of work? Or was that always a passion of yours? So I I've uh, I've 
I've been teaching for a while. I've been teaching for over like um, about eight years now okay. in higher ed. So I've taught diversity classes and I never specifically dealt with the implicit bias terms, um, but I've always talked about diversity in different ways. For example, prior to even delving into this, I would have students, let's just talk about, it was four years ago, as a matter of fact, when we were going into the election process with Trump and um, Clinton. And I have I had students in on on both sides, and I tell them I'll give you credit if you are a Democrat. I want you to do some research on 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 Trump. If you are a Republican, I want you to do some research on Clinton, and I want you to go to uh, reputable sites, not Fox News, not CNN. I want you to delve in and look at the policies that they they believe in, and I want you to come if you if you come back and you present this to the class, I'll give you extra credit. So what I was trying to do is uh, focus on critical thinking. Like I need you to do more than just what you assume by what your family members tell you. Do you really know what these people stand for? So honestly, I was doing implicit bias reduction. Uh, early on without really uh, delving into it specifically. I'm very interested in that. How would that particular assignment go uh, as far as as far as that? They always went very well, and people were always surprised. They still, now, when the political parts, they were always like, no, I'm still a Democrat, but yes, I found some good qualities, or yes, I'm still a Republican, but I found some things that they were interested in. But I've also done that, for example, um, one of my students, I was doing diversity, and I always make them try to pick something challenging. She did one on Kaepernick. She was really upset. This was years ago. She's a military family, but her sons, like, loved Kaepernick. And so she said, okay, I'm going to do it on Ka Kaepernick. And she was so surprised. And she said it really changed her opinion because she just assumed that I'm listening to the media. I'm a military family. I just felt like he was against us. And so she said it really opened her eyes to his cause and the beliefs. So I think it's always had some really positive results. Yeah, that's that's really, really interesting. I, I that that's got to be a class in and of itself just to you know have people as you mentioned dive into uh, reputable sites and not just the news sites uh, sites mm -hmm. um, so how much would you say the media plays in on this as far as our direction uh, our, us how we see the world right how, how much is right is now it is it's ridiculous I can't even give you the amount of i mean because now it's not just it's not just watching the news we're dealing with facebook and instagram and TikTok, and so media is coming at people in all shapes and sizes and now we're dealing with algorithms so you click on one thing they're picking up oh you're this and so people are being bombarded and they are being beholden to these beliefs without any real foundation and so that's where it becomes a real issue. I've, I've been watching, like just watching the media. I was passing a, it was called a Trump train, a Trump train yesterday. I was coming from uh, Los Angeles and it was about 60 cars. They had their flags uh, waving. They had the Blue Lives, um, Lives Matter flag waving. They had a big Trump bus. And then I was saying to myself, I wonder if they asked themselves the critical questions of why I believe what I believe. But what happens is we get into these conversations. So social media has done way more damage to people thinking about the problems that they have. Yeah, I think that that's, you know, these echo chambers that people are calling them has really been very, 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 very negative and really fostered a lot of dissension. Um, I, you know, just going back to the time that you were talking about when, when uh, Trump was, was first initially running, I can remember, I think it was the head of CBS saying that uh, 
Trump isn't good for the country, but he certainly is good for ratings. And so, so many times, uh, people are putting this profit over people, profit over, in, 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 and it's doing damage to us. And not just because it's Trump, but even the Democrats are not revealing all information, right? So mm -hmm. it's 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 both sides in this. And the, one of the, one of my biggest problems is is that we are talking about these sides, right? It's two yeah. sides, right? And, and, and the vast majority of the country is in the middle. Right, and nobody ever talks about that. Right, there's only something like 29% of the electorate, or the oh yeah, the voters are 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 Republican. 30% are 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 Democrats. That's only 60%. The other 40% are independent. Right, so so yeah, so, so, this is so, so it's so polarizing. Um, right. I was uh, taking a course the other day just to um, get my facilitation certificate, for, and he said that, and this was didn't have anything to do with elections, but he said the problem is that people always say you're either or, you mm. can't be this and, mm. you know, like so it's like the liberals, the mm. conservatives, or you know, so it's us against them. Why can't I be this one thing? Why can't I be a Republican against you know the behaviors of Trump? Or why can't I be a supporter of one thing? I'm like, it's just like me saying I'm a wife and a mother and a sister. And, you know, so it's a lot of things and a friend. But instead, people like to make, um, they clump you into this one category and make it so polarizing. So that I, there has to be your for me or against me. Mm. Why can't it be that I believe in some of the things you say and I disagree with some other things that you say? And, and let it be like that. So, so this type of tribal type of thinking, right, obviously spills over and obviously gets attached to your work, as as we as we found out about, right. So this it, it becomes with politics. And I was just speaking to someone about this today, right. I think that we really have to find a way to beat this type of thinking. I mean, in 2020, right, we're not living on a savanna anymore, where we have to think of these small tribal. Uh, uh, teams or or groups or clans or cliques or whatever, right? So we we're, we have to live in a, this globalized world where we see each other for as as more than just that person over there or that enemy, and we can't seem to get beyond that, right? Even as as my teasing about your uh, your husband's uh, baseball cap, right? Right? Yeah. That, that's that's a form of, of, of tribalism, right? I mean, yeah. and I know I know that I'm doing it, but other people don't know that they're, that they're doing it and reinforcing these things. I wear a, a D hat. I can't. Well, it's somewhere around here, but it's a Detroit. It's a Detroit hat, and everybody's always asking me. Um, it's got the big D on it. it says, "Oh, you you like you like Detroit, and what's up with that?" I'm like, listen, everybody where I live at either wears a New York Yankees cap or a Boston Red Sox cap. That's where I'm at in Connecticut. So mm -hmm. it's either it's either well, there's also some strange Mets fans out there. Anyway, so so it, it just shows the, the 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 tribalism that goes on there, right? So mm -hmm. and so when people just just kind of navigate and gravitate towards different different ideologies. So I want to give you a chance more to talk a little bit about about what your work is. Um, in uh, in um, implicit in, bias. In, yeah, implicit bias. I'm reading here, so um, uh, I just want to say hi to a couple of people that jumped in. Uh, hi to Joe Norfleet, Chris Casey, and Zakia, uh, my good friend Zakia. I did hear, I did listen to the podcast. You did give me a shout out, and I appreciate that. So thanks for coming on. Uh, so um, so I want to give it, turn it over to you. They didn't come to hear me talk. They want to hear Dr. Cochran talk about implicit bias. What it is is you already gave us a definition, but talk about to to us about your work and how you try to reduce it. Um, so what I have learned over time, I, mean, I spent all these years doing the research, but what it really shows is the way we reduce 
uh, bias is through connection, through conversations and individual connections. Yes, you can do it in a group form, but that's a little more difficult. And when we look at it in organizations, it takes a lot more work. But for us to reduce bias, for example, um, if you are and if you were like against black people, they tell them what you do is you start showing more positive role models of black people. You know, they gave an example of um, if you want to know more about um, the Asian community, like have them watch the Joy Luck Club, you know, something positive. Because what happens is they're grouping, we're grouping people together. And so what I started was I create safe spaces to have these conversations that are very challenging and how we do that is by being very vulnerable and honest at the very beginning and it takes uh it just takes that one person which when i'm doing my training if you're a trainer it takes a trainer to start by being very honest and open about the issues that they may have and then give people space to tell their story because what happens is we start to reduce bias by listening and then we have to give a space for people to tell their own story so i it we uh, i I focus on the lens that we see things through. Like my lens is my story based on the fact that I grew up in a two-parent home with a father. He had an eighth grade education. My mother had a high school um, diploma. We grew up in Los Angeles and South Central during some um, very volatile times in the 80s where it was a lot of gang violence and a lot of police brutality. So there's a lot of things going on. So I have a real distrust of the police based on my environment and what I was exposed to. So they were considered unsafe to me. Uh, and then I would have a friend who totally opposite experience, whole family is um, police officers, grew up with great experiences. And then it took time for me and one meeting my uh, husband and him working for the UAB police department at first, University of Alabama, Birmingham, and then getting to know his family. Those things started to reduce my bias by the exposure, the people. And so um, as I, what I've done is I've developed a curriculum where we focus on, I do it through a trauma-informed lens. And what that is just basically saying is that you, I assume, we go with the assumption, the hypothesis that everyone has been traumatized in some way. Uh, it's easier for me to say that now because of COVID. So no one has gotten out of this situation without some form of trauma. This has really, for me, it's probably have a greater impact compared to someone else. You know, maybe all of your family's healthy. You may not, it may not have ever touched you. I've gone through, I've been through a lot of deaths over the last 10 months, um, uh, funerals, uh, just, you know, friends and family, and some of them directly related to COVID, some are not. So I have been traumatized by that. So my viewpoint now is I am more traumatized and, you know, I hear a certain word and things and I have a different response. So what I try to do is address this situation as that if someone has been traumatized and the way they see the world is different than mine. So I have to, one, respect their viewpoint, respect how um, how they see the world, and uh, give them a space to tell their story through their lens and not put my judgments on them based on my own experience. And that's what we all do. We tend to, we see, um, it's like if you were born, there's an example out there, another, uh, I, I'm, I'm stealing this from someone. So they give the example, if you were born and they automatically put uh, pink glasses on you. So you, for 12 years, you see the world through those pink glasses. And one day someone takes those off. And now my, all of a sudden you see the ocean clearer, you see snow, the, the true color of snow, you see the world like crystallized better without that you, that pink you you had on there. And so that's the goal is to start to develop, give people skills and just the understanding that first you have a lens. 
based on your own experience and then to try and grapple with taking that out by listening to someone's story and not sifting it through your own experiences because that's what we tend to do. And so what it does is it starts to open up these conversations where you created a safe environment for people to be honest about one, where uh, what their story is and where their biases may have come from because they, they, may, they don't know. And then we start to um, ask the questions. Like I send my students out, especially if my classes are switched out. I was like, okay, now that you, I show them videos and examples and we talk through it. And I, I send them off that week and say, I want you to recognize some things that you might not have noticed before. Like when you're having a conversation with a coworker or when you get, um, uh, you see people in a grocery store, we have these general assumptions that we're not even aware that we're doing. Like we, I see, um, I had, I was in a, I went to the, uh, beauty supply. Went to the beauty supply to get something in Texas. And then I saw, and this is my bias, I saw a dark-skinned young lady. She was looking for some contact lenses. And uh, she was trying to find some colored contacts. They were like gray or blue or lavender, just interesting colors. And she was asking the lady, what do you think? What do you think? Because, you know, my hair going to be blonde. And all of these thoughts came in my head. Like, so I'm like, oh, my gosh, I'm having like this bias. I'm telling myself a story about this young lady and so it made me aware like i was aware that i was doing this and so and i was just like okay you know i had to tell myself okay nicole you cannot do that you cannot assume anything about this young lady and so it makes me more aware of my biases now okay so i'm going to dig into that a little bit <laughs> so you're at the store you see a young lady who's talking about she's going to have blonde hair she's looking for color contacts and she's yes. dark skinned yes okay so let's 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 uh, let's turn over this rock here. <laughs> what were you thinking? <laughs> um, okay, so yes, so this that's this is the part about being vulnerable and transparent, right? My, right, right. my husband calls it hot, um, uh, honest, open, transparent. I'm gonna be hot, and so I was thinking, who are you trying to attract with <laughs> blonde hair and and lavender and and so that's my first. That right, my thing, right. like at first I was thinking, oh sweetheart, no, you should not in my head, no, 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 ma'am, don't do that. But then I was like, you know what? Then I thought to myself, based on her background, this is attractive to her community. This is attract. She's attracted to whatever person that she's just interested in. They like that. They like blonde hair and they like the nails and they, you know. So it was my. So it's not fair for me to put my upbringing and what I think is appropriate and not appropriate onto that young lady. And that's what I was doing. And so I had to, to tell myself a different story and say, you know what? This is okay for her community and where she is. And why am I putting my judgments on her? And that's not fair to her. You know, I, I understand that. And, and I've done shows uh, and talked to people, uh, professionals, uh, about black women's hair, about black uh, young ladies' psychology. I think I have another show coming up about that, I think. Anyway, um, because this is important to me, because I believe that I believe that we, we really need to psychologically uh, free ourselves, emancipate ourselves. And I just want to hear your thoughts about that. I know you're, you're I mean, you're not a psychologist. What do you mean about free ourselves? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I think that we need to decolonize ourselves from 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 the standards of beauty that have been told upon us. Right. So so why is it that that um, and I would assume I'm just assuming that uh, 
that uh, the young lady was probably going to straighten her hair or put a blonde wig on, which would, which would uh, mimic European beauty standards. And so I have a problem with that. Now, this is me talking. <laughs> As you mentioned, yes. her community may not have a problem with that and the people that she's attracting and all that. But, uh, but I wonder about the, the long-term implications of that in our ability to build community, open businesses, and be psych a psychologically free people. Um, mm -hmm. So I just want to get your opinion about that. So for her, I would say I, I I would definitely not call that European standards with blonde, <laughs> long blonde hair for a dark chocolate young lady. I, I, I agree. <laughs> I agree. But also, it also determines like what, like we talked about social media. What are you being exposed to? Are are you looking at rap videos? Are you looking at you know like certain things on uh, certain networks that draw your attention? So you see that as a beauty standard for you. Um, and so I have to be like, you know, you talked about the colonization of it. It depends on the person. And also, you know, like, for example, we put on these masks, we get up every day and we put on our mask. We have to, it doesn't matter depending on where you are. Like I, uh, let me give you an example. I work, I've worked for, I don't work for them anymore, but the university is very conservative, Christian conservative. And the majority of the administration was, uh, and I think I talked on another podcast, this was the majority was Christian conservative white men over the age of 60. So I would give the example on um, when it was saying we had casual Friday and people would come in with like ripped jeans, old sweatshirts. And they would ask me, you know, why aren't you dressing casually for me casual would be a polo shirt or a, a comfortable button-down shirt and some nice jeans meaning that you know professional jeans because i'm a black woman working for a conservative christian organization where i know without a, a doubt that my casual would not be accepted but do i want to work and do i want to check do i want to pay my bills and help support my family yes i do so my casual definition of me, this is the uniform I have to put on to be accepted. Do I disagree? Yes. Do I think it's okay? No, it's not okay. Did they understand that when you explain? I assume you explained that to them. Did they understand that? She absolutely understood it because we, it was like in, in this particular where I was working, I had a really close relationship and it was, it was a diverse community. So we had, we had, you know, we had Latinx, we had, I had, you know, I was working closely with young white men, Asian men, uh, you know, a variety of us together. And we were all from different backgrounds. So she, she was able to ask me the question and I was able to give her a very honest answer. And she totally understood what I was saying. Mm. Did you explain that answer to anyone else or just to her? No, I explain this to anyone who asked me about this is like I give this example when I have uh, conversations. But no, no, I mean when you when you were um, at the school. Oh, I, I'm talking about when you were at the school at the job, and mm -hmm. people at the job would ask you, "How come you're not coming in casual?" Did you explain it to a number of different people at the job at the uh, time? Yeah. So now people in my office and in my say it's only about six of us. Okay. They they knew me. They understood it. Would I say this to my white boss? No, because I was not we already knew from the experience and lawsuits and other things that um, this is something I wouldn't, sh I could not share without getting reprimanded. And, and I understand my trust, you know, I know, I knew who to trust and not to trust. And so this, this, this lends into a lot of what I'm talking about as far as freeing ourselves, not just 
psychologically, but you know, part of that psychological freedom has to come through our ability to employ ourselves, to have our own community. Not, not that we want to be isolated in our own communities, but but you have a safe space or a place or a job where you can go to where you can feel free to wear ripped jeans or feel free to have uh, natural hair or 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 whatever you know, uh, whatever. You know, be a dark skinned person and not feel the need to. Uh, try to assimilate to, to, to another person. Because then, yeah. as you mentioned, we're putting on the mask and we're not being our true selves. And, there, and there's I would psychological say, ramifications behind that. That's true, but you have to think about this. This is another one that I had a, a very interesting, I was getting ready to do some training, but I didn't get, get it done. It was for um, a nonprofit. They, what they do in North Carolina, they have a nonprofit where they uh, take, they see some skids from uh, the Boys and Girls Club academically you know great so these are for black students and they will pay for them to go to a private school well one of the found uh, one of the people who were on the board she they talked about code switching and mm -hmm. she was appalled white lady 65 appalled that black children had to code uh, code switch and she implied about um slavery issues and um Anyway, they said you need some you need some training because what you're thinking and your racism and white privilege it was a whole number a gambit of things. But I wouldn't say that we are not aware and not um, living our true selves. I am living my true self one hundred percent. I know it's just like but when I go to my job, it's my job, and I do have to be a certain way, and that's anywhere. When you clocked in at work, when you were working at the police department, you knew their rules. Hmm. You knew how you perform. You would not talk the same way you talk to your to your family members. You know how we are when we're at home and we're comfortable. Um, I have my professional voice, and I have my voice when I'm at home with my husband or, or hanging out with my best friend. And those are different. It does not mean that I'm not being true to who I am. I'm, I'm saying, like, this is my job, and I'm going to give you what you've asked for. But I think that the problem is that there's not enough education. People are not educated and not aware of what's happening to them or what they're doing. So I think that what we need to do is educate them and then let them decide. So it's up to that person to make that decision. But if they're not aware of it, whose fault is that? Well, I, I agree. I totally agree. And I, I understand your point. So let's get back to uh, implicit bias. Well, not that we ever really like it. Yeah. This kind of all, 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 all plays plays into it. So you, you work mostly with police departments or, or private industries or... I have honestly, I don't work as much with police departments. I work mostly with nonprofits. So it's usually when I say nonprofit, I'm doing credit union. Um, I'm doing, I'm working with a hospital right now. I'm working with the residents of hospital and staff members. I do community events. If someone, anyone calls me and asks me, and they're a nonprofit and they have a group, most of them are nonprofit, but they have a group they want me to talk to. Um, I will come and talk. I will present to them. I also work with uh, educators. I just did one for marriage and family therapy. They have they're required to do this this cultural cultural enrichment course, and he asked me to come in once a semester and spend time with them and talk to them about unconscious bias reduction. And so I go into trauma informed care. I talk I talk about privilege, and I talk about privilege before I go into white privilege because I. I Again, I talk about safety. I need to be heard. And if I start, if I start off attacking or start off and saying white privilege, these guards go up. So I make sure that I'm open to anyone, private, you know, private, public, nonprofit. It doesn't matter. If you ask, 
I will find a way to make it happen for me to come and talk. It doesn't matter. <laughs> uh, so I like what you said about how you try not to offend people. And uh, I probably, my audience there will probably heard this a number of times already, but I was a former well, I am an implicit bias instructor for the police department, although I haven't taught since I retired. Mm -hmm. Anyway, um, so so I and I always started off with talking about other things, implicit bias, not related to race, right? If you people have an affinity towards tall people or they don't like short people, so I try to make it make it un people understand that we're not talking about race because I don't want them to their eyes to roll in their heads as this black guy starts talking about racial issues and, and all this kind of stuff, right? So so I, I, I think that that's a very needed, a good uh, approach. So people have often asked me, I'm gonna ask you, uh, how effective is this training? Uh, do you keep any stats or do you know anyone else who keeps stats on how effective this training is? Um, so there is one that does stats and you might have heard of it. It's been a minute. I'm gonna have to probably get back to you on that particular organization. So they do, they have a survey prior to going in and, uh, and then they have them take this is specifically for the police department. I think it's called something policing. I have to find the site. And, um, Impartial, impartial policing, right? I think that's what it is. Yes, that was the group. That was the group that I that I taught for and trained for. Yes. So you know that I know that they had the surveys, and I used some of their information for my research, mm -hmm. and they did they did the before and after. Mm -hmm. um, I uh, the reason I would say right now that I know that I'm effective because people could call me back after a year. Okay. Okay. They call me back and they say, I want you to do this for my organization. I want you to do this for this particular. So I'm getting these calls because they have either sat in on my um, either brown bag or um, a course that they someone has asked me to come and speak at. And they want I, I love the way you do it. I remember what you said, because what I do is. I don't want to just change it for you in the organization. I want it to be individual, meaning that if I could change your mind about you being aware that you have bias and unconscious biases, and I'm giving you some tools and a few skills to take with you to you so you can start being a more aware. You're gonna, we're not going to solve it. We're going to reduce it. That's the goal is just to reduce it. So I want you to be able to reduce it, not just in at your workplace, but when you sit down to dinner with your family and have these conversations. When you go out and about in your community and you re, uh, meet other associates and you start to have these conversations. So it can be effective. But if we're just saying, like, I just want to do it for this one organization, this one time for two hours, I tell people, you're giving me two hours. All I'm going to do is give you an introduction. So you want me to come and talk because it's not going to solve any problems. It's just going to tell you that here's the introduction. This is why we have to do it. These are some some key elements to it. But to really reduce it, we need to spend some time and grapple. And I need you to share your story. And I need people to hear your story. And I need other people to share theirs. That's just the groundwork for starting to reduce it. How how long do you make your sessions? Is it a, you know is it eight hours, four hours, a, 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 a yeah. week? So it's an eight hour, it's an eight hour course. I always recommend it split up into face to face. I recommend it being split up into two sessions uh, online. It, uh, I've just started doing the online ones and they've been two hours and they really are not long enough. So I think the, the, the online ones are more like nine because just the prep, you know, it takes a lot more work to do virtual sending information, showing them videos, uh, putting them into small groups. So those are about nine hours and I try to do them in a couple of sessions. Okay. Okay. But, uh, you talked about uh, uh, reduction. 
So as I was doing some research here, and I'm gonna I want to walk you through this particular article that I read. I know you didn't read it; it's not fair, but I just want to kind of get your opinion about it. Mm -hmm. um, so let's. I want to talk about reduction first. So are you looking to reduce implicit bias? And you talked about on, on the personal level. Are you looking to re to reduce implicit bias? Those feelings that we have when we first see someone, or are you looking to reduce behavior, the, the outgrowth of that? So it's both. It's um what. First, I want you to be aware that you have them. So we can only, we start having conversations about a variety of different ways that we have these biases. We talk about in the workplace, we talk about what they see depending on the environment. So if I'm dealing with, um, like right now I'm doing residents in a hospital, I'm showing them different videos about their biases. And I talk about the, the, the morbidity rate of black women because it's the highest in, uh, in, uh, and when it comes to issues with them going to the, a doctor or to the hospital. So I think that it depends on the situation. I try to do a variety of different, especially the key areas that we're grappling with right now in America. And so they can be more aware. And then we try to find ways to solve it, but we cannot do that unless we're having conversations. So I try to do both, bring you bring awareness and then try to find ways to solve, to reduce that bias and not just the workplace. Okay, very good, very good. So <clears throat> let's talk about one of the reasons that I got in contact with you because uh, of the critiques uh, of, of implicit bias. <laughs> now, I sent you a couple of videos. Did you get a chance to look at them? I did, but it's been a minute. It's been, it's a, been while. a minute. Yeah. Like, I, I had to, I had to rewatch them again myself. I, um, so I want to go ahead and put, but if you could just, I'm what I'm going to do is I'm going to put the, the uh, links in the, in the box, but if you can talk to us about what some of the, some of the critiques, some of the criticisms that people have said, uh, about whether it's academic or maybe somebody said to you or, or whatever. Do you know of any critiques that people have had? Yes, and I wish I had a video that I could see. I recently watched one with some research about how it's hard to reduce bias because people are not aware of it. That's usually like, that's like the abbreviated way of saying, how can you reduce something that you're unconscious of, right? That's the, that's the premise. Um, and so the critics are saying that that can't be done. Well, yes and no. So no, it can, nothing can be done if you're not aware of it. But the goal is to bring you aware of it, that you're doing things. It's like um, if you have a, a tick or you tap your finger, you never notice it. But once uh, someone says, hey, do you notice you tap your finger every time you start thinking? Like, or every time you, uh, you eat, you hum when you eat, right? So what it starts to do is it, it, it's self-reflection. So there's a lot of information out there, critics saying that it's not effective or that it really can't be done. But I would say if it's done the right way, it can be done. It can be reduced. And uh, you've had experience, like you said, especially if you went through the, um, the one that we were talking about earlier with the website, with the policing yeah, and partial policing. Mm -hmm. um, and just talking to friends and family, I know that I've seen reduction personally in my own life because I'm constantly um, doing that reflection, but also just with friends and family and community. When I've gone back out and we've had these conversations, I say yes. So the critics have an opinion and I say that it, it's somewhat true. And I'll give you an example of the IAT, the um, Implicit Association Test from Harvard. The, a lot of people were saying like, I and I agree with them that that's not really an effective um, assessment. All it's really doing is showing you that you lean towards 
something it, because they have a lot of different associated tests that they do. And one is like the one where they do um, black and white. They show the black of uh, black images and the white people and this new and negative words and positive words, things like that. Uh, and so does that say that you're racist or does that say that you have these biases? It doesn't do anything. It's just information. I am not a fan of that test because if you don't have someone to sit down with after that and really and communicate and talk through the findings and bring some kind of understanding and clarity, then it's not effective. All it does is just upset you. Now, like now I, I took the test and it just left me really pissed off. Like, what am I supposed to do with this information? Now I'm like mad that they have it. I'm a little more angry at white people for no reason, you know, those kind of things. So I think that we um, like, yes, it can be effective if done appropriately. So every time I see someone doing, trying to do some kind of training, the first thing I want to ask is how are they doing this? Are they doing more damage than, um, than solving the problem or reducing bias? So I'm interested to hear your thoughts as well, since you said you had done some training on that. Uh, is the effectiveness of it? I mean, that's, I think that that's, that's a good question. I, I think that I approached it the same way as you. I wanted to, to, to get people to understand that they have them and to slow down in their interactions and think about how they are dealing with with. Uh, you know, certain individuals. And as I mentioned, I really tried to get them to understand this isn't just a black and white thing. This is what you think about when you walk into a Muslim home, uh, when you walk into someone's home who may be of a, any different religious denomination mm -hmm. or, or, you know, are you always pulling over people and never giving them to the pretty blonde female or giving tickets to the pretty blonde female, right? So I, I really tried to make, to focus on not just, you know, a black, a white guy, you know, white officer, black black suspect exactly. that's you know that, that 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 gets us nowhere but if you can think about you know how am i treating all these different people that i come in contact mm -hmm. with am i treating yes the the pretty blonde female who i don't want to give a speeding ticket to the same way that i'm treating the short uh hispanic male uh you know how you know mm -hmm. how how is that working out yeah. so uh, it's difficult for me it was it was difficult to measure that and i didn't i didn't ever measure it and i don't know and no one's ever come up to me afterwards and said, hey, you know, I really enjoyed the class or, or whatever. <laughs> mm -hmm. So, you know, so it, it would be difficult for me to, to gauge that. Um, uh, you made a good point that I wanted to. Uh, one of the things that I did part of my dissertation was I had to do uh, questionnaire surveys and interviews. So a part of my interview, and this is my very first interview, and I did um, police officers. Uh, at the very end, he said, maybe you should ask us what bias do we have? Like if some of them are, and they were, and I was surprised, I added to my question and they all had different, uh, the ones who weren't trying to just be GP, you know, like I'm just gonna answer like the stated questions. So I had one officer because he worked in a rural area and he dealt with a lot of, um, a lot of, um, of abuse. And so he said that I have a heart, I have a bias toward these women, domestic violence, when these women call, because I already know that they're going to go back to these men. And another gentleman said, I have a bias toward young teenagers driving expensive cars. Like I, he said, because when I pull them over, I'm just automatically like some, you know, rich kid, daddy, the whole, he said, as soon as I see a young person, I have all, so all of them had, it was interesting to see that it wasn't like black or white. It was like certain situations that they've put themselves in based on their environment 
that have developed these, they've developed these biases against certain things because of what, you know, what they're used to. Or one, one of his, one coworker, he lost, he lost an officer in a line of duty because of a gang, a gang related issue. So he has, when it comes to gangs, he has a bias. So these are the ones that they're aware of. Mm. And so I think that if we, we just need to ask the right questions in the right manner to start getting some real solutions. That's really good. And I wanted to uh, kind of talk about uh, an article that I, that I read today. Uh, it was uh, actually an academic paper because I'm kind of a glutton for punishment. I'm trying to keep up with my man, Chris Casey here. He's always, he's going to, eventually he's going to use some big words here that I don't understand. So, uh, <laughs> so, um, so it, the article, I, I'm not going to pull it up on the screen here, but the, the name of the article uh, was six lessons for a cogent science of implicit bias and its criticism. So this is probably one of the most highly technical papers that I've ever read in my life. I, I, I'm not, I'm not, I, I think he was intentionally, you know, breaking out words that I've never seen before. Mm -hmm. um, so, <clears throat> so he talks about six things and I'm going to talk about four of them and I want to get, and I'm, I'm going to try to put this in layman terms um, because I don't have a PhD and I'm not my man, Chris Casey here. So what he talks about is the first thing is, is what you talked about is that people are a, aware of their biases and so one of the first criticisms is, is like you mentioned is how can we fix things that we that we're not aware of right well as you mentioned in your survey ask us what we are aware of so this is what one of the things that this author was saying is, is that you need to ask people or, or some people are certainly aware of their biases they're aware that they don't like drug dealers they're aware that they are mm -hmm. are, are skeptical of of uh, of a young male young whatever uh, so they're they're certainly aware of these things and that's what this that was the first uh, criticism of the article i don't know if you want to expand upon that at all mm -hmm. you kind of no i think that that's a very good point they're aware of certain things but the question is, how do we delve in deep enough to find out um, how do you investigate what I'm not aware of? Mm. Okay. And so okay. And that, and that comes to exposure. Okay. So one of the, and what this, I, I put the, the links up in the article uh, or I put the links in the descriptions before I put it up again. One of the, one of the videos that I asked you to, to watch and it's a couple of guys. It's this one guy. I think he works for the Manhattan Institute. He's in his twenties. And everybody's looking up to this guy. He gets to thousands of views. I don't know what he's done. He did testify before Congress, um, oh. so so maybe that's why everybody's looking at this guy. But he, I mean, he looks like he's still got his mother's milk on his on his. <laughs> but he's a young he's a young guy. Young, I mean, he's smart. He's you know articulate and all that. I'm not going to take anything away from him. But he's talking about implicit bias, and so what he, what he talks about in, in is and what also I'm tying this into the article that I read is he talks about implicit bias in actual behavior. So even though we may have these initial reactions when we see the bias that we don't like, whether it's a drug dealer or whether it's the domestic violence situation where we know that this person is going to go as an officer, we know or at least believe that the, that the woman is going to go back. Um, does that translate always to with behavior? So even though I have these, this feeling, this feeling doesn't mean I'm going to respond. And that's true of a police officer, true of a teacher, true of a, of the medical profession that you're not always, your behavior isn't always going to follow that. You're going to modify your behavior to, to act accordingly. Well, I think it, it depends on the situation. If things are sudden, like we, I, I might have a, it may never come up in life depending on my community. Like I, if I'm, if I am, if I grow up, grow up somewhere in a community where we, everyone, hates um asians but i've never seen an asian in person or they've never entered into my community 
that's not going to even my response that I, I wouldn't even know how I would respond because I've never lived through that, that situation. So yes, it comes in behaviors depending on the situation. Uh, I'll give you an example. There's a video from CNN and it's called um, Implicit Racial uh, Bias in, um, in Teenagers or Youth in Our Young Adults. And they give this example of having a young person look at an image of a different racial person uh, picking up money off the floor and uh, maybe like it would be like a white girl looking at it, a black girl picking it up off the floor. And then they ask the white girl to tell the story, which you say, oh, she's stealing that money from her. And then what they noticed is that depending on the race, in every single race, they were always more positive toward their own race. They would tell a story of, oh, she's picking up her money to give it to that person. So the behavior is like you think about how we tell the story to ourselves of something that we see. It's based on our experience. Like that police officer who shot that man, she said, I don't know. She doesn't know where that behavior came from. But when they're in the rooms, when they're getting ready to go out, you hear the, the camaraderie, the stories they tell each other. That's how those, uh, that's how that develops on how we're going to respond to a situation. So I think that not all of the implicit bias will come out in behavior, but some of it does, depending on our situation and where we're, and how we're, where we're, our surroundings. Very good. <clears throat> So uh, the next point of the, of the article that he makes is uh, doesn't seem to change, right? Uh, and I didn't take enough notes on this, so that's my fault. But okay. it doesn't seem to change as far as the implicit bias today. If you do, you know, we do the testing, talk about the everything. It may, it may, it, we may get an adjustment for two weeks or so, but the long term effects, six months, a year later, we're right back to where to where they were with the same types of of implicit biases. Uh, what's your thoughts about that? I would agree, uh, especially in organizations. If you do not change policies, procedures, and practices, if it is not a consistent change, if you don't have not created a team of people where we're going to make some real deliberate changes in our organization and um, and develop like whatever it is, if it's diversity, if we want to be more inclusive, if we want to be more inclusive within our organization, have equity within our organization. I can teach classes till I'm blue in the face. But if you do not sit down and work with that team and say, how, what are you going to do? What are your next steps? They ask me, what are the next steps? Well, the next steps is let's get a team together. Who are who is going to sit on this team? How often are, are you going to evaluate the things that you're going to put in place? So if they don't put anything in place, if they don't have some real practices and procedures and make some real changes, then I agree. It doesn't seem to change anything. My goal is like, if I know that I'm doing a group where they're just doing this to check a box, then, then I have to work really work hard on making sure that they change their mind on the individual level. Because I cannot change it if you show up the next week and they say, oh my gosh, they, we had all that great information and they're doing nothing about it. They're just checking the box and, and we're back to business as usual. There's still inequity. There's still no inclusive, inclusivity. And then we still have still racial, racial tensions depending on the organization. So yes, it doesn't seem to change if we don't put something in, 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 in practice. Yeah, and so he, he, there was another uh, point about it, a uh, question of, of effectiveness over time. Um, and he also mentioned uh, context matters, uh, the role, the, the the role of the of the perceiver, right? How how much? What's in, in the particular test that you talked about, the, the the Harvard test, which I think I put up. I'm going to put up anyway, uh, so people can go and take the Harvard test. Um, I actually took the 
the test about um, elderly people. And good news, everyone, I don't have a bias against elderly people. That's that's good news. Um, <laughs> so you talked about the, the you know context matters. Um, what's going on at the time? Uh, how mm -hmm. you feel? What what were your perceptions or or experiences? You know, an hour before you took the test. Uh, you know, all that type of thing. So all that can change. Uh, your perceptions when you actually take the test. So you, uh, you may have had just, you know, maybe you were cut off by a, a young black male driver, you maybe a young Asian driver on your way to take this test, and now you're taking the test, and that, that may play into your into mm -hmm. your thought process. Um, what's your thoughts about that? Well, I, I agree, and that's, that's with anything. You know, we, especially like if you, um, I'm reading a book right now. Uh, it's the, uh, I'm reading so many books right now. I'll talk to you about it helplessness um anyway but <laughs> depending on your day if you're hungry and you're taking any test like i just need to get this done so i can eat yeah. but and you're right about that um the iat depending on your situation but i i took it twice and i did the one with you know the racial one and same results and i was still pissed off after i did it it didn't change my feelings i was hitting those keyboards those keys pretty hard because i was angry uh and so they're not reliable it's information but if it's not done in context if you don't have a conversation afterwards then i think that that test is not really solving the problem it's just giving you information like to show you uh, on this range this is where you are it shouldn't be too extreme like you shouldn't take unless you are setting yourself up to want to fit into a certain box will you um do that you know but it's also the pace there is and like how quickly do you answer a question how slowly so yes it can change and it's not it depends on what you're looking at it for in context it's not supposed to be reliable it's just information well i think that was another critique is that um you know after after sitting through or taking the test one time taking it a, a week later a month later whatever that you still have the same biases so uh it, it's and so that you helped to explain that is that it's just information unless you do something with it you're not going to uh, develop or 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 reduce any of your your biases but i think the biggest point that you're saying that we're trying to say is is that we're trying to number one bring it to your attention that these things exist and number two is change the behavior and i also like to change individual behavior and i also like that the third point is that you change you have to change the culture of departments and not just police departments but you have to change of, mm -hmm. of banks that you of banks and universities of medical fields and etc you know you have to change those cultures mm -hmm. it means nothing right if you're you're right if you're just checking the box and just kind of going through the motions none of this means anything none exactly means anything. And, and i and i tell them right away that uh especially when i'm talking to an hr director i don't i don't want to waste my time so don't say oh we need you to come speak for two hours what what ne what's next What's going to happen next? Because if you're just checking a box, I can give you a, group, a bunch of numbers and people to call <laughs> to do that. But if you really want to change your environment, then call me and then see if you're going to be able to give me some time with these people and you're willing to make some real changes. Yeah. And then even if they can't do that after the eight hours, at least I know I've impacted some people. Very good. So my man, Chris Casey, uh, says, how much training does a new officer typically receive on bias? Uh, from my memory it's about eight hours i don't know if you have something different there in california 
Every yes, yeah, so every um, department's different. Some departments don't get they don't touch bias at all. And this is me doing my research throughout the United States. Um, I found out in Cal in Los Angeles. I looked up theirs. This is back when I was doing it in 2016, 17, um, 18. They had it for four hours. And it was buried in with a bunch of other things, not just bias, diversity. They had, it was a list of things they had to do within a four hour period. So bias might have taken up 20 minutes, but they listed it saying that they had the training. And so that, so that changes nothing. So I think it depends on the department. You have to do the research. Uh, also, you can check, just just check some, we have some awesome police departments that are doing a great job, but a majority of them don't have the time to do the training, the appropriate training, where they do um, de-escalation training. Now, do you uh, do any of that de-escalation training or have you worked with implicit bias training with police departments uh, when it comes to shootings or, or anything like that? No, the ones I want to do it with, they're not, they're not letting me in, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but uh, what I did was when I did my research, one of the things was like, we have to, the, the difference between an EDD and a, a PhD is, is um, where you're doing the research within a practice. So my goal was to create solutions. So I created a de-escalation training module for the police and how it would work, you know, and, and I think that it, we have to look at each department because some of them simply are, um, they don't have enough staff members, they don't have enough time, they don't have enough funding to do the training, or they have already created this culture where even if they have the opportunity, they really don't, it's not gonna change anything. So I think you have to just look at them as individual departments, depending on, like in California, I think like Bakersfield, it has like the, it's like the worst, worst place to work or worst community when you think about shootings and violence and and what they're doing with the, the police officers uh and that's throughout the united states it's like one of the worst places so i think it just depends it just it really depends mm. yeah yeah so what's the, what's the what's you, the future for you as far as you're going to keep keep teaching are you developing new courses reaching out to other you, you, i believe you said you work mostly with nonprofits. are you going to try to get in the police field or just stick with the nonprofit? oh yes no i'm i'm look, i'm not sticking with anyone i'm sticking with whoever calls me and want me and wants me to do some training I, if, you, if, if, if it's for profit if it's not um i think that this is needed everywhere it's definitely needed in the police departments but that's why i'm glad that i'm not just doing this just for police departments i want more of them to come to me and say i want this training and be willing to make some uh, policy changes to get it done. Um, but for me, it's to um, get my name out there more and more because I am upset when I see people doing this type of training and they're not doing it effectively. An example would be as much as I love Starbucks and I, they have really good diversity policy. If you ever look their information up, they really try to work on diversity. When now all that happened with those two black gentlemen in the shop, they, they shut down their, all of their stores for a few hours for their employees to be trained. But they, the organization that they hired, and I don't care, they did a very poor job. It was almost traumatizing to some of the black people, the images they were showing, things like that. So they were ineffective, even though they, they had, you know, they had a good reason for what they're doing. So no, I'm going to keep doing this for who, whomever wants me to come. I don't care if it's a hospital or if, if it was the Fortune 500 company, I will show up and do the trainings and um, and I'm gonna continue. What I'm doing now is trying to write, uh, write more curriculum to train the trainer, like 
for, for facilitation because we need more people doing what I do. Uh, is there is there what they did online? I'd like to see what the, what Starbucks did. Um, not that I'm yeah, traumatized, but <laughs> yes, it's not, it's it's online. It's been a minute, but yes, I was just reading the feedback from they were showing how they showed these videos of all these um uh, uh police brutality against black people showing slavery. They were showing all, I can't remember. They were showing all kind of videos and things that was like and in the back if you be one black person in the room, you're just like, wait a minute, what? This is not really making me feel better or them feeling like, oh yes, we have to be extra careful. And it shouldn't have been about that. It's just, they said they really felt like they just targeted one race. But if, as you know, we should not do that. If we want to, we have to reduce it across the board. We need to make people aware that we have them and it's not just black people that we have bias, unconscious bias against a lot of things and a lot of people. That's always the way that I approached it, as I mentioned. So if you if you do that, then you know, you're going to be sitting in the back of the class, you know, kind of slunking down to your seat because yes. you feel you feel targeted and everything. So exactly. I, definitely, I definitely, definitely agree with you about that. Uh, that's too bad that they approached it that way. So um, it, it is it is quite unique in how people approach it and try to teach it and try to think that they're doing something so good and meanwhile you're just sitting there and you know just kind of <laughs> yeah. like what are you doing yeah. so yeah um so i really thank you for coming on it was really really enlightening um i love your energy and your passion uh for coming on uh the show um how, how can people get away a, a hold of you your foundation awake and get in contact with you if they want yes. training or whatever so we yes we have an interest form which you filled out uh i net. uh you can also reach me on my email account which is um doctor which is dr nicole cochran at gmail.com uh, and also there's some contact information on the website, but please, I am always open to do trainings and have discussions, even virtually, because I think this is a very important topic, especially now. And, um, and I want to send somebody just say, do some research on trauma-informed care. You'd be surprised. It's, it helps your approach and how you facilitate um, everything. I'm going to check that out. Trauma informed care. I'm going to do that. Yes. Um, but yes, send them my e website email address and they can always reach out. And I do check my emails uh, every other day. <laughs> okay. okay. Well, listen, that's, better, that's better than some people. Some people will get back to me for a week. Like, oh, I mean, I just checked my email. Like, what? <laughs> Good thing I, I was wrong. As, as my, as my, as my uh, grandmother would say, Good thing I didn't offer you a million dollars, right? <laughs> she would always say that to me. Um, so Chris Casey says your dedication and conviction to your beliefs is very admirable, doctor. Best wishes on your goals. Once again, I've learned a great deal, Cap. Thanks, Chris, so much, Chris. Thank uh, you. You're going to be on the show soon, probably in uh, January. I'm going to try to schedule for that. Um, so I really appreciate you coming on. Yeah, I agree with Chris that your passion uh, and conviction is 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 uh, is very great, and uh, hope that you don't become discouraged and keep up the good work. We definitely need people out there trying to do the best that we can. Uh, to make this world a better place for all of us, not just we can't just make this world a better place for black people. No, <laughs> we got to make it no. a better place for, for everyone, all of us. for for everyone, yes. you know, for everyone. Especially so, next generation. <laughs> yeah. Um, let's see. Uh, Susan Graham says, "Thank you, very informative. I will be reaching out to you." Yeah, Susan uh, was yeah. on the show, uh, and she's uh, she's very good. So, um, let's see. So I think that's all that I have. And let's see. Next week, everyone. Uh, uh, we're going to have a retired police chief from um, 
Seattle, Norm Stamper, wrote the book Breaking Rank. Um, he was the chief of Seattle PD when they dealt with uh, what, what was that situation in um, in uh, in Seattle with the the camps and all, I can't even think of it. Occupy, Occupy C oh. Seattle or something like that. So uh, so he took a lot of heat for, for the response and uh, he owned up to it and uh, he's been writing books and all that kind of stuff since and I think because of the book that he wrote he was receiving death threats and everything like that. So oh. yeah, so Norm Stamper is going to be on next week and uh, also next week we have two, two shows uh, next week and uh, next week is, is going to talk about Messy Entanglements Part 2. We can talk about dating and, and uh, how people get them get themselves in these crazy entanglements and how do you get out and all that kind of stuff. So looking forward to that. Just two shows next week, Monday and Wednesday. So if you're not doing anything, Doc, come on down. Maybe I can, maybe I'll, I'll ship your husband some avocados or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> I will eat. And uh, my good friend Elaine Williams says hi. So thank you once again. Thank you everyone thank for tuning you. in. Really, really, uh, I really appreciate it. I'll certainly be looking to have you back on to, if you don't mind, and we can absolutely chop it up some more. Talk about this. I don't know about messy entanglements, but I can talk oh, about yeah. Well, you're, 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 uh, hope, well, I was gonna say you're not in the entanglements, you got a husband, but I'm just gonna say hopefully, hopefully, you're yes. Not <laughs> yes, I can say happily married 29 years, <laughs> absolutely. So that, that's good. So, yeah, so that's gonna be a good show coming up next week. Uh, so that's Wednesday and Monday, like I said, we got. Retired Police Chief Norm Stamper, author of Breaking Rank, coming on. So, so everyone, thanks for tuning in. Really appreciate it. Much love and peace, and we'll talk to you later. Take care.